This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jamal Dejani. My co-host Jess Ghanem is on the road. Who would have thought that more than two weeks have passed since the polls closed across the country? Joe Biden, or I should say President-elect Joe Biden, won the race by 306 electoral votes to Donald Trump's 232. Most importantly, Biden received 6 million votes more than Donald Trump. Yet, here we are, weeks later, Trump is yet to concede. Joining us from his shelter in place in Northern California, Arab Talk reporter Phil Pasquini. For the past few weeks, Phil has been reporting on the elections from Washington, D.C. Phil, you just recently have uh, returned to California, and you were there from day one, weeks before the election, so you've witnessed all that happening in real time. And then, of course, we spoke to you uh, the week uh, of the election, election day, November 3rd, and then then the drama started started to unfold in front of your eyes. So uh, let's just start by this. I mean, now you have been witnessing all of this, right? Have you gotten an insight into Donald Trump's psyche? I don't know if anybody can possibly do that. I I often refer to former Mayor Ed Koch of New York City, who said if he saw Trump's tongue notarized, he wouldn't believe anything that he said. I think that's kind of the overview, uh, stating it mildly. But uh, it was exciting, historical, frightening, uh, hopeful, and about all the emotions you can think of that uh, we've all been through and add COVID into that, and you have this real mishmash of uh, emotions, people's responses, uh, the pro-Trumpers, the counter-demonstrators, the so-called left-wing, the Proud Boys. You've got all these components mixed together. So uh, recording it, being around it, experiencing it firsthand was uh, truly a unique experience. Something similar, I might add, that I've never seen uh, in covering foreign elections in different parts of the world. So uh, it was a unique experience, to say the least. So uh, you were there, and because we spoke to you, um, you know, during the elections and the week before, and then, you know, everyone thought, well, give it a day, give it two days, maybe three days. Now the, the results are all there. Um, you know, Trump will concede, but then They've staged this because uh, you've sent us some uh, great photos. And I should say that Phil Pasquini is a bona fide photojournalist. <laughs> you know, you do your work for the Washington Report and, and others. You have a, a great collection of photos. But uh, they've called in for this uh, so-called million man or million woman march. And it was not. Million man. (laughs) They left the women out. They left the women out. And you were there. So tell us really, what did you see on the ground? I saw fewer people than I saw two days before that when people were celebrating Biden's victory over Trump. There were about 10,000 of the 1 million prospective attendees But what I saw was frightening. It it reminded me much of films that I've seen made in 1938 and 39 in Germany of Nazis on the March. I don't use that term lightly 
because I think what we're seeing is a cult, a personality cult built around a tribal existence with Trump. Uh, he has socially re-engineered the landscape, the political landscape, and his followers are completely devoted to him. I mean, what I saw were people carrying large American and Trump flags, acting as though they had a right to be patriots, and nobody else did. Anybody that's anti-Trump is not a patriot. They're not part of God's team, as one woman had on a T-shirt. Uh, she was God's God's army for Trump. Another guy had a T-shirt on a few days before that said, uh, Jesus is my savior and Trump is my president. Wow. And so these kind of simplistic uh, statements, if you will, wearing bumper stickers, everybody does it. And, and I saw fewer of them with Biden people. But uh, what I saw was people screaming and yelling, USA, USA, uh, lock, lock him up. The election was stolen. Uh, the Democrats have stolen things. Somebody near me called a, 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 a counter demonstrator a pinko communist, something mm. I hadn't heard uh, since the Cold War, really, but as loaded it now as it was then. So it, it wasn't really a political rally as much as it was like bringing the troops out to celebrate something that, that doesn't exist. And Trump even took a few moments on his way to the golf course, where he's spending most of his time now, uh, to drive around in his armored limo, as he did at the India in Indianapolis 500, and when he did when he had supposedly had COVID, whatever condition that put him in the hospital, he paid a cursory visit, and and women were crying in the street, and everybody was happy and joyful, and you know this is all based on the concept that this election is going to be thrown out, and the Supreme Court's going to make the final decision, and and to buttress that after the mega man million mega man march at freedom plaza the entire group walked up or, or went marched up to the supreme court where they held another demonstration in favor of and holding out the idea still that this was a rigged election it's going to be overthrown by the courts and trump was the real winner that joe biden cheated and stole the election and i don't know how much clearer it has to be. Of course, it doesn't matter how clear it is because it's all propaganda. It's like bringing coal back to Appalachia. He's had four years to do it. Nothing's happened. So it's just another one of the lies and one of the scenarios that he's thrown out uh, as far as uh, what really went down. I think you said something very important. You said Donald Trump has re-engineered. What did he re-engineer? I missed that part, but um, I refer to it as social engineering. He has now, from day one, and this is what I've been afraid of when he got elected, that he would set a tone, an attitude, and an acceptability of things which formerly were not acceptable. You know, he, he has changed the landscape, the political landscape, by re-engineering how people feel about politics. It's no longer something that we're mildly engaged in. It's passionate engagement. It's an all-out war. It's to win no matter what. If you cheat, it's okay. If they cheat, that's a bad thing. Um, and and he has, you know, gotten these people now. I, I saw lots of confrontations between Black Lives Matter people or demonstrators who were just out doing what they have a perfect right to do, and that's to address the government about the things that they're not happy with and being called and, and things thrown at them, yelled at them uh, on both sides. It's become this emotional play as to where you stand. You're either on one side or you're on the other side, and there's no middle ground. And the, I have to say, equally, 
that the extremists on both sides are very frightening. They're they're doing things and in the name of other people that you know nobody consulted those of us who are more moderate um, or, or less conservative than the ultra right wing conservatives. And so this this reengineering it, it has look at the morality of of our country now when we're talking about um, you know the separation of children from families and then the families can't be located. This is not what we're about as a nation, but somehow that's now become an acceptable thing. And there's too much acceptance of what I would refer to as abnormal behavior or contentious behavior or divisional behavior into these very strong camps that obviously have emotional, you know, tie-ups into everything that goes down. Unfortunately, uh, I think we're going to, when Trump leaves office, we're going to see the remnants of that continue on for a while. He's threatening to open a TV station and and all these other things. I think he's going to spend most of his time in court defending himself against a lot of charges that are going to come down about his behavior both before and during uh, the presidency. Uh, we'll get to that day. Uh, I, I would say uh, the day after. <laughs> the day after meaning would be January twentieth after twelve noon. That's that that's the beginning of the day after for Donald Trump. But uh, this is all important points. I think very, very strong, very powerful, good insight. Uh, my uh, the thing that bewilders me, uh, Phil. I understand this whole creation of uh, this whole idea of creating a cult. We've seen that uh, in the past. Uh, uh, it kind of brings back memories to what happened in uh, uh, with Jones. Remember. Uh, People. Yeah, Jim Jones. Jim Jones, you know, things like this is when you say that, I say, yeah, a lot of people can fall to some, some, someone, a good talker or, or kind of who mes- mesmerizes them and, you know, influences their, uh, you know, gets rid of all their critical thinking. But what's uh, bewildering, uh, Phil, is the fact that up till now, very few Republicans or very few from the leadership of the GOP. I mean, you're talking about these are elected officials, these are senators, these are congressmen and women who know politics, and they're acting the same. I mean, what's your take on this? I mean, you've, you've, you're, you're almost like, I would say you're a Washington insider. You've been there for, for so long now that now you have all these uh, senators and congressmen uh, who are egging him on, who are encouraging him to stay the course. And is this, is, is this an act? Uh, you know, they're just trying to, to show, you know, we're rallying the troops behind the president and everything after a few days is going to change? Or are they also ha- have drank the Trump Kool-Aid? Yeah. Um, I think they're hedging their bets, you know. I can remember a time in the U.S. that companies and businesses would never put a political sign in a window to take a side on an election or a cause because they didn't want to alienate their customer base. And we see now people wearing very happily MAGA hats, uh, Biden T-shirts and so on. And these are accoutrements of any election. But I I think in answer to your question, I think that uh, the GOP has fallen for this line of baloney, basically, and is trying to support it because they they think there might be, just might be an outside chance 
that the, somehow the Supreme Court's going to overthrow this and that Trump's still going to be there. And I, I don't understand, and I never could understand why they would be afraid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a windbag. He, he, he promises everything and does nothing. You know, when, during the uh, uh, debate he had uh, with Biden, he talked about, oh, he's going to give, he's going to create now the best medical care that anybody's ever had. You just wait and see. No substance, just noise. And I, I think these people are, are pandering to him because they want to maintain his base, whatever that may be, however you define it, in their camp. So when they run again, they can use those credentials to empower their position for re-election. I think it's going to backfire. I think I don't think Trumpism is going to go away. I think that's here to stay. That's part of the political landscape now. Um, and I don't know why people are encouraging him other than to stay in his good favor. As you know, he's very thin-skinned, uh, blows up over things really easily. We've seen that now with the reaction to the election. People are dying. We have this COVID crisis going on. The government's still not doing anything. They're blocking Biden from taking an active role to be preemptive. That's fine with him. Somebody put a sticker up on one of the signs in Washington of Trump's uh, face, and it says in a in a a speech bubble. I don't care if you die. And I think that sums it up. You know, he doesn't care about anything but himself. He certainly doesn't want to run the country. The Times had a good question the other day. Why does he want to be president if he doesn't want to act or do anything presidential? It's because he wants to shelter himself from what liability he has and he knows he's got. And he wants the, all the accoutrements, fly around in the big airplane, being driven around in armored vehicles, big man on campus, all blow, no show. You know, and I, I think some of these people, as you say, have they've drank the cool and they've bought into it. Um, I, I don't think this is going to portend well for them in, in the long run. Um, that's just my observation from what I've seen and, and heard. I, I hope that uh, clarifies the issue, but it's complex, as you know. Yeah, it's definitely very complex. Uh, we have not witnessed something like this. I, I Not in my lifetime. I have not witnessed... Some for sure something like this, but at the same time, uh, I think there is also a schism or a split in in this country. Obviously, there is one. I mean, any which way you look at it, uh, even uh, one thing encouraging I think was is that you have now more than 140 million people who went out to vote, which is uh, unprecedented. I think I think people who voted for Biden now. The number is approaching 80 million. Donald Trump is uh, going to be about 73 or something like that, 73 million uh, when all the votes are, uh, are counted. So you have a, a tale of two Americas, uh, what we have. Uh, it's almost, uh, you know, 70 million people who really don't see eye to eye with... Uh, the other 79 million who voted for Biden and, and, and they just see America from a whole different prism. I mean, these are, I mean, is this something really scary when you watch what's their priority? I mean, I mean, the priorities we're looking at the, the people who voted for, for example, Biden, you know, they're talking about healthcare, normal issues, healthcare, lower taxes, uh, you know, getting uh, over this uh, pandemic. But then you look at the other side, they're still talking about 
keeping immigrants and Mexicans out of this country, banning Muslims from coming into this country, uh, you know, uh, supporting uh, brutality in general, police brutality. Anytime you talk about gun control, they go berserk. You know, they start crying like, our, you're taking away our Second Amendment, Second Amendment. Like, you know, I mean, I see like militias forming the way even they talk, they walk, they dress. Uh, the pictures that I looked at from Washington that you've sent out and, and what I saw on TV, people looked like uh, paramilitary groups coming into, into Washington, not just like people who are coming to demonstrate for democracy. No, they're geared up, and, they, and it's pretty much de rigueur, you know, it's a kind of uniform. You wear fatigues, you carry a, um, a backpack, a military-looking backpack for assaults, uh, you carry a huge flag, uh, you scream and yell at the top of your lungs, you don't wear a mask, because that's somehow that's, there's a constitutional right, I've been able, not been able to find it in the Constitution, that you don't have to wear a mask. Um, you do what you want, anybody that that uh, questions or challenges you is the enemy. Um, I don't see that at the things where Biden supporters are at. The celebration when Biden won, when it was announced, was jovial. People were happy. They weren't aggressive. Um, there was, I think, one arrest and one stabbing between a group and maybe uh, the anarchists on the right um, I don't. The, the police are still investigating. Say, I don't think they've come to a conclusion as to who was involved. But um, you saw a jovial spirit at the mega million man march. Everybody's mad, you know. Everybody's intense and and tense. And at one point, I was about a block from a police checkpoint. They had a huge perimeter around the the entire matter, um, and about a block away, I, all of a sudden, I heard all this screaming and yelling in the Three cops that were standing near me, we all looked down the street to see what was going on. So I went back down that direction. And as I approached, approached the intersection, it had been blocked by uh, two uh, snow plows and pedestrian barricades. There were five officers there. Suddenly, about a thousand people came up from the plaza. They wanted to walk through there in sheer number, force the cops out of the way to go where they wanted to go. Um, so it was like this mob mentality. And then, of course, they called in reinforcements about, a, I'd say, 75 a police on bikes arrived within just a couple of minutes. But they were they were trying to force their way through. They got stalled. They started yelling and screaming, Trump 2020, 12 more years, four more years, recall the election, let's vote again. Uh, when the police showed up, oh, then they broke out, you know, clapping and, and cheering. Thank you for your service. Uh, there's this like this schizophrenic thing. Now, some of his supporters are hoping that uh, the COVID uh, uh, crisis will take over and kill everybody because we'll all end up in heaven. You know, the <laughs> right wing uh, Christian evangelists that support him. It's phenomenal to watch because it, it's what a lot of people understand that don't live in these bubbles in Washington or the West Coast or the East Coast as the kind of more central uh, undertaking or understanding. I talked to a Japanese journalist for a major station in Japan who had been traveling around the U.S. for three months prior to the election. And interestingly enough, he said he'd been in Appalachia and the people that he interviewed there told him they would 
vote for Trump again because he's bringing coal back. And he, he posed the question, well, why hasn't he done that already? He's had four years. And they said, well, he's been working on it and it's going to come back and we're going to have the lives that we had before. And he's the only one that will do it. This is burying your head in the sand. It's not going to happen. It's not real. If you just look at the use of coal in the U.S., it's dropped dramatically uh, even before uh, Trump was elected. But they hold on to this faithful notion that there's somebody in Washington who's representing their views, their interests, and their ideas. I think he's a showman. He's a snake oil salesman. He's never done anything. He's not going to do anything. And uh, it's just sad, really, quite frankly. Well, yeah. I mean, the sad thing is that half half the nation uh, falls for it. Uh, I mean, uh, the entire world is moving away uh, from coal and trying to look uh, to, uh, you know, different types of uh, renewables. Uh, you know, we're going solar and, uh, and you know, I think by the year 2030, uh, California will ban or will, yeah, I think 20, is it 2030 that everything has to so, be yeah. electrical vehicles and, and, and things like this. And they're still talking about coal. So something must have kind of failed, right? In, 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 in messaging throughout the government that we are at this point where if you think people are just really don't know what's what's going around them and they're just waiting for this uh, the messiah to right, messiah. Of, uh, lead them to the promised land the and, cold messiah <laughs> yeah and uh, so again my question would be now okay let's say again uh, well let me look at quickly at the timeline what we're having is the timeline for people to kind of keep an eye on is uh, by late november to Early December, uh, Phil, the official uh, state's vote counts get certified. So it's almost like, okay, that's step number one to Biden moving from president-elect to president. Then January 6th, which is a very important date, that's when Congress counts electoral votes and certifies the winner. And then January 20th, the president-elect is inaugurated. Okay, so all these traditions and and steps to the White House, but then what I'm thinking about January 21st, so we don't kind of see another scenario like this in four years. And I know it's a whole different time for Biden, whatever, first dealing with COVID and, 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 and the damage that's caused by it. But then I don't want to go back where the Democrats have failed in delivering their message that you still have half the population bitter. And that's what happened apparently during the Obama years. You had half the population. They were bitter for eight years. And therefore, they rushed to uh, embrace someone like Trump. Yeah, and, 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 and are we going to see the same scenario in four years? And then the Democrats kind of live in their own bubble and neglect these people. Well, I think they have a reality check now. I, I would attribute the dislike of Obama as pure, purely racism. I, there's just no way around it. And, and I think, you know, that's endemic in society. And that's something that Biden will have to work at. And we all have to work at both individually and collectively. But I, I, I think, you know, you're correct in, in uh, noting 
that we don't want to go back to that. And I think, I think the message has come through now to Biden. I know he's heard it. I hope the other demos have heard it, that they need to understand what this country is about. You can't just politicize yourself and your party and put yourself on a plateau above the other guys in hopes of creating, you know, some new reality. The reality is what it is. People went to Trump because they felt disenfranchised. And we know, and you know, you've been to Washington, you've lived there, you've traveled there. It's a bubble. It's not It's not a realistic overview of what's going on. Uh, intellectuals and, and analysts talk among themselves and they look at everything, but not a lot of them get out into the field and do what I think is required. And that's field work to understand where people are coming from. You know, the mantra about uh, defund the police, that has been interpreted to mean that the police should have less funding overall to do their job. I think what it was proposed at initially was to review what the funding is being allocated for and to find out what the needs of the community are and to reappropriate those funds into different areas. That I can go with. The idea of, of suddenly getting rid of the police <laughs> Look how bad it is now. Imagine if you have nobody protecting anything. What do you think would happen You know, with the predators that we have running around want to superimpose their ideology and their politics on everybody else? I think that's what the lesson the Democrats should get, that the president really, in my mind, doesn't have a right to come in and destroy everything in his way in order to create this new order of his own viewing. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for minorities. It doesn't work for collectively for everyone else. We need good leadership that can see what's going on in the world today, what the world will look like in five years and in 10 years, and do the strategic planning and implementation that we need to achieve those goals. First of all, we need a leader who tells us what the goals are, what they are looking for. With Trump, we've had knee-jerk reaction to everything. It's emotional, becomes personality conflict. He throws out superlatives. I, I heard him say he won more votes than any sitting president ever did in the history of the United States. That's true. But Biden got more votes than anybody that ever ran for president. And That's he forgot to mention more. that he's already exactly, you know. And and there was a good thing on on uh, I think it was CNN. They were talking about how when Hillary lost and he won by 306. Electoral college votes. That was a landslide. He massacred her, and she was obviously not. The, now that he's lost by the same number, he's completely moot on the subject. He really won. We just don't know it yet. That's the that's the message. Well, that's we what don't. The he's, he's, March he's was all about you know manipulator. Obviously, it just the uh, bewildering thing is how people fall to everything and every single lie that he said. Was a game show host, you know? Yeah. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM and with us for the entire hour, our journalist, Arab Talk journalist, Phil Pasquini. Phil uh, has been in Washington for several weeks before the elections and after the election. Now he's taking a short break back to Northern California before he hits uh, the road again. Now talking about being in Washington, and then, of course, your travel, uh, we talked about that uh, during the last shows. Every day this drags on. I mean, all eyes are on Washington now, and I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about uh, world capitals from Paris, London, uh, Cairo, Istanbul, you name it. Everyone is watching this. What message are we sending to them? 
Um, I've said this before when somebody I was talking to that was way up in a certain position that said, we're going to instill an American type democracy on Afghanistan. I said, God help them. You know, that this is they, democracy is just disorderly conduct and chaos. And out of that, because there are people who want things to work, it works. And I think we're making a terrible example of what politics are all about. And we have this brat child running the country who the other day had the audacity to start talking about attacking Iran. For what purpose? Because they violated the sanctions and they have more visible material than they've ever had. But he broke the sanctions and the sanctions would have kept them in check for five years and, and been renegotiated. And so he destroys something and then he stands back and his only reaction to it to, to divert attention away from himself and his loss is to go attack somebody else. And fortunately, uh, Mark, uh, mainly the, the head of the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I guess the others in the meeting essentially told him they, weren't, they didn't want to do that, that that was not a good way to resolve the issues that we have with Iran. Uh, I, I think we're living in the most dangerous era of the Trump era right now going forward because of what this guy may try to do or, or what he may do in terms of international politics and uh, in, internal and domestic politics. He's desperate. He's lost. He knows it. He can't admit it. Um, and I, I think he's just cruising for a bruising, as they say, you know. Um, I would hope and I, I do believe that there are enough people in government who are patriotic, who do understand the Constitution, who have sworn an oath to the Constitution to uphold it at all costs, that that was, is what will prevail and that we'll be able to circumvent any major disasters uh, brought to us by Trump on his way out. There's a wonderful video, you've probably seen it on January 20th, where they take the the uh, Secret Service takes them and throws them through a window <laughs> to, get, to get them out. That's pretty extreme. But that's what we're broadcasting to people around the world. We're saying, look, the guy lost the election. He's not going to give it up. He's going to fight to the end. Uh, you know, we're not going to have a smooth transition. It's going to be politicized at, at, at the expense of uh, innocent people dying in the, in the COVID crisis. Um, and God knows how many more. I mean, this this element that I saw at the Mega Man March is going to be problematic. Uh, I think we're going to see demonstrations and counter demonstrations that are more aggressive. Um, I hope not, but I, you know, we're looking at as some woman was screaming, "We want civil war." I don't. <laughs> maybe that's an existentialist threat, but what are you talking about? Well, that's the crazy thing. Have they read uh, American history, which is not long, by the way, and know the devastation that it left on this country? I mean, this is the crazy thing when they say something like this. A civil war still, by and large, is the biggest devastating war uh, that affected the United States since its birth. Far more than World War I, far more than World War II, when you take that into account, the uh, the population at the time, mm -hmm. you know, the number of population, yeah, how many, and then people to call for, let's have a civil war. I mean, it just tells me total ignorance that they haven't picked up a book and read anything about it. Right. And they haven't. And I also heard, as we talked about last time, I heard people yelling the other day with, and with signs, 
uh, we want a new vote. We want to throw the vote out and vote over again, that we can't resurrect or save this vote. It's too late. The, the, the Democrats have been too crooked. We want to vote over. And, I, and if you remember when we talked about when I was in Israel and Hamas was running and people voted for them because they thought uh, Fatah was corrupt and they were fed up with the same old party and the same old party lines. And after Hamas won their part of the vote, people were totally freaking out. They were going, I, we need to count this over. We need to, we need a new vote. We don't want them. We don't want a religious agenda. We want a, a secularist agenda. We want pure government. We don't want an, you know, a, a theocracy. They didn't understand the concept. And these people are not understanding the concept of a democracy. You vote and that's the way it is. Whatever the results are, you have to live with it. I wasn't happy when Trump uh, was elected the first time, but I didn't go out in the street and break windows and, and threaten my neighbors who voted for him. It's just how it is, you know, and we're seeing that fuse of um, understanding, compassion, and being willing to work with the majority thrown by the wayside in favor of our chosen leader, our chosen candidate, who has done nothing to lead. And well, look what he's led us into. I mean, look where we are now. I, I go back to the old question. I think it was Reagan that asked, are you better off now than you were four years ago? No, we're not. We are worse off now than we've ever been in the history of this country. We've missed, this guy has mismanaged everything he's touched. Um, the COVID crisis, I think, is really the Achilles heel that did him in. I think that alone was somebody, if I, I sent you the photograph, uh, well, a guy dressed like Trump who was carrying Trump bleach at one demonstration, but in front of the White House still, there's a bottle of bleach and it's got a balloon on it that says, get well soon. I thought that was pretty telling about what most people feel about this whole thing and the way he's handled it, you know. And that that's the Kool-Aid you're talking about, you know, of injecting well, that's the scary bleach part. in your veins or drinking it. Uh, I mean, the scary part is that you say uh, that's what got him defeated is COVID. And even with that, it was a close call. So uh, so imagine if we did not have COVID and the economy he may have won. Was, yeah. was... Yeah, he would have won. Uh, so, which is kind of very disheartening that this is what it, it took to have COVID to actually uh, get him out of office if if and when he, he will leave uh, office, right? Uh, well, uh, my question is, uh, you know, being a long-time Washington uh, insider, I don't know if you had the, the opportunity to speak to people Working like in the Department of Homeland Security now, of course, he, he fired uh, um, their uh, cybersecurity expert because he said that, you know, uh, there was For no telling key. the truth. Yeah, for telling the truth. But are they worried that, that we may have the civil unrest and it turns violent? I mean, are there preparations being made? Because I don't want us to be taken by surprise, meaning the country that if Trump just keeps digging uh, in and saying, you know, I'm not leaving, and then, and then you have to resort to people, uh, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people coming down um, to the streets, as we've said that before, surrounding the White House, preventing Biden from going to the inauguration. Prevent <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't thinking about these things, but now as we are moving forward, that's a possibility, isn't it? Well, well Anybody in Intel and any analyst worth their salt, they've already been working on various scenarios, I'm sure. 
um, what the what ifs, you know, what if uh, they block the White House? What if he won't leave? Uh, Biden, I think, summed it up beautifully. He said on January 20th, anybody that's in the White House that doesn't belong there will be removed for trespassing. Makes it simple. The reality, of course, is something else. Um, you know, homeland security is about securing the homeland. It's not looking under rocks for Arabs with bombs. That's what the the whole thing has been about since uh, 9-11. What uh, Trump refers to and Bannon referred to as deep state government really is about how government functions. There, there are programs going on, irregardless of who's in the White House or who's in the Senate or the Congress, that are carried on by all agencies in the government that look at various scenarios and uh, things that may occur and how to either circumvent them, infiltrate them, defuse them, remove them, uh, and deal with them on the street. I didn't see any DC cops. I mean, there were more cops on the street than at a donut factory explosion. Uh, they had uh, gas masks, first aid kits, Everybody was prepped for worst case scenario. Um, I only saw a few reporters who looked like they were going into combat. Uh, and I didn't see any demonstrators, you know, who were appropriately geared up. Although a lot of people had backpacks and what they contained, who knows. Uh, there were some fireworks thrown around. Um, but I think, you know, be, just before uh, the election, they put up a 10 foot, what they called a non-climbable fence around the entire White House. I mean, the White House looks like, I call it Fortress White House. It looks like a fortress. There are a number of barricades between, if you're familiar with Washington DC, between 8th Street at Lafayette Park, all the way up to Pennsylvania Avenue in front of the White House. They're now building the inauguration reception stand in front of the White House. So that's a huge area, but all, all around 17th Street and 14th Street, all the way down to the ellipse, down to Constitution Avenue is a 10 foot high fence that's bolted in place. It would be difficult to knock over. I don't think it's non-climbable. I think anybody motivated could get over it, but the area that you'd have to cross in order to get anywhere to do anything is pretty massive and that's well protected. So I think you know everything is in place, including the boarding up of windows that we talked about before and businesses and, and uh, companies around the city. Um, my great fear is with the amount of guns that exist in this country and with groups that are, you know, Antifa and the Proud Boys and the white supremacists and the far left extremists, they're just all egging for a fight over something. And I, I think my greatest fear is that one small stupid incident may blow itself into something else whether it's provoked by Trump or his followers, um, I don't know. I, I think, as I said earlier, I think we're living in very dangerous times mm -hmm. right now. I think we'll pull through, okay? But we may be challenged on the way. I mean, uh, democracy has been defined as organized chaos, and I think we're seeing that, you know, in reality now. Um, I, that's, you know, just what I've seen. Moving forward to a Biden administration, and, uh, you know, hopefully past COVID at some point. What does this mean to the rest of the world? I mean, uh, 
I've seen, we've seen, obviously, uh, most of these uh, leaders, they've been congratulating him, you know, from Germany to Turkey to even uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, all the love <laughs> fest his between, be, between him and Trump has, uh, the love fest disappeared and he was quick to congratulate Biden. Do you think that whichever the way the wind blows, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he's been recognized internationally as as the winner, and so what does it mean to them? I mean, like, you know, when I used to travel, uh, when we were allowed to travel for pre-COVID, people used to say, "How did you guys elect Donald Trump? What is he thinking?" Because he used to come with all these, you know, before. Initially, people thought that they were kind of amusing and crazy things like the the Muslim ban. You know, Muslims from, you know, whatever, 12, 14 countries cannot come to the United States or I'm going to build a wall across the border of the United States. Of course, Mexico is going to pay for it. Yeah, and they make Mexico pay for it. And they used to laugh at this. But then they but then they became very nervous. A lot of people used to say, you know, I don't know. you have a president who might start World War III. And thank goodness he hasn't, by the way. But uh, and and now, I mean, do you think people are just going to relax and think, okay, we're going to go back to to normality with the United States, or or are they going to remain well, you know, nervous? And ben Franklin nervous? said, right. Ben Franklin said, now you have a democracy. Your your job is to keep it. And I've posed a similar question to diplomats overseas that I've met with. That is. How can you possibly put any faith in American foreign policy when every four years it's subject to change? And they told me to a person, well, you're you're somewhat consistent. So even though there are changes, they're usually pretty minor, some major differences. But for the most part, you're on an even keel. That's not been the case. And I think people overseas in foreign service and and, uh, government realize how unstable American government can be, but they're looking towards Biden with hope that we will get back to something that's normal, that's acceptable, that's compassionate, that's based on historical references, that deals with uh, politics politically and diplomacy diplomatically. You know, we have this mishmash now of politics and diplomacy being thrown together. We're, We're enforcing our political view on others because of which way Donald Trump wants to go with things, you know, destroying agreements, but putting nothing in their place or making an even worse agreement and talking about how great it is. And this is the art of the deal maker who, who didn't even write the book. He had somebody else write the book. He just told him what to put in it, and negotiated that, you know. And you find um, out the art of the deal maker uh, filed bankruptcy like a dozen times. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. He I mean, wasn't. I always laugh. I always tell people when I hear, well, you know, they like him because he's a good businessman. Who owns three casinos and goes bankrupt? Casinos are licensed to mint money. If you can't (laughs) do that and not go bankrupt, what kind of business acumen do you have? You don't have any to speak of. Well, that's actually a good point because uh, many analysts think that this whole uh, charade of I'm not leaving, I won, I won – 
And then people are getting bombarded by asks. I get his email. Send me ten dollars. Uh, we're gonna find you know for his legal yeah. fund. <laughs> for his, uh, yeah, because people think that he's bankrupt or he's gonna leave. You know, and he needs the money for his legal fund. They need the money to pay campaign debt that they poured uh, hundreds of millions in the past. Uh, you know, two week the last two weeks of the campaign. So uh, the question is, that's the thing. I mean, the interesting thing is, like I say, it's very important to look at the day after and uh, whether actually Donald Trump is uh, going to be living in Mar-a-Lago and have all the money that he, he pretends that he has, or maybe he's just like a big puffed up balloon that's just going to lose its air yeah, very quickly. Exactly. Full of smoke, you know. Um, on that note, interestingly enough, the attorneys that are trying to overthrow this are led by none other than uh, Giuliani, which is kind of a joke. <laughs> America's mayor. But uh, there were a group of activists, uh, Refuse Fascism, Code Pink, and others that had an action uh, the day before the MAGA march, that would be last Friday, uh, they went to the law offices of the firm that's representing Trump in his bid to overturn the election. There were two law firms uh, that were representing him. They held a demonstration at one law office a few days before when the people in the law office looked out and saw the demonstration. They immediately quit his campaign to overthrow it. They withdrew, realizing that it wasn't going to pretend well for them uh, speaking in terms of clients in the future, mm -hmm. uh, the second office is only a half a block from the White House. Uh, they held a, a, a massive rally there. And I, when I stepped back to take context shots of the building and the group, it was ironic because in the office building where their offices were, there was a reflection of an American flag from the opposite side of the street. And I thought, how how totally bizarre that is. They're trying to destroy a democratic process through this smokescreen and here right on their window superimposed uh, is an American flag telling them what this country is all about. And yet for the almighty dollar, they have no interest in it. They have yet to withdraw, but they have felt uh, the wrath of activists who are going to consistently keep after them uh, about their participation in the charade to overturn an election that was uh, democratic in nature, it was honest and open. Homeland Security virtually has certified that. That's why, as you said earlier, the, the head of the agency was fired. Anybody that's being realistic about it, with the exception of those who you mentioned in GOP that are burying their heads in his favor, understands that the game is over. And, and when I laugh, when I hear he's not going to concede, it's irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference. He's a lame duck president. He has done nothing. He's destroyed his own legacy, even though he, think it's, he thinks it's a great, you know, accomplishment. Uh, and we are poorer as a nation and a world because of him and his lame efforts to do anything. And I think people that believe in him are just following the false messiah, and they're trying to take the rest of us with them. And I object, object to that strenuously. I think we're a better country than we're being given credit for, and what we even may think of ourselves at this juncture, that I, I believe that we have still great promise and that we could deal with these things. And I think Biden is very brilliant in going around him and organizing what he has to organize on his own. If you remember early on, Trump talked about he didn't need any money for his campaigns. He'd pay for it himself. 
Yeah. Why is he crying for money for lawyers now? If he's Why so he got tons wealthy. of money from Sheldon Adelson and others. Right. But, right. You know, the funny thing about all of this, uh, Phil, is that we've been warned. And that's this, uh, it's funny and sad at the same time. People who are our age know who's who's Donald Trump. I've lived in New York. I went to school in New York. And, and <laughs> you know, I, you know. I, everyone knew who who Donald Trump was at the time, just a big, big joker. And then yet they fell for him. We, he has been, uh, actually, I would, I would say he has been transparent because months before the elections, uh, he has been saying that the system is rigged against him. Like he, he's been saying that he was going to do what he has been doing. Like if I lose, this means the system is rigged. I mean, he's been saying that for like months. Then we had his personal lawyer, uh, you know, Cohen, when he testified in front of Congress. And he said, he said, this guy is not going to leave peacefully. Remember, during the hearings, his his own personal lawyer, the lawyer who took the phone from him paying uh, Stormy Daniels, he he, he, he said he's he's not going to go out peacefully. And then he had others like... uh, his communications director that lasted for a month, uh, Scarmucci, uh, all the time saying the same thing. The people who knew him the most, they said, he's a con man. This That's guy's a he con is. man. And he is, he's not going to leave, you know, he's not going to accept defeat. You know, to him, it's, it's, it's one big show. And again, I said, that's the funny part, the sad part, more than 70 million Americans don't care. More than 70 million Americans voted for him. More than 70 million Americans are still demonstrating and saying nonsensical things uh, against our constitution and making us as uh, the laughing stock of the world. I, I, and and I, 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 we said that before, I don't see in any, uh, in the near future, and I don't want to hear it from any one from the United States, whether the, uh, the future Secretary of State or anyone lecturing other countries about, about their election process. Because after this, I don't think we have the right to lecture people about democracy. Right, right. And, and try to explain to a non-American what the Electoral College is all about. I mean, the whole precept of democracy is one man, one vote, or one person, one vote. Count the votes, whoever gets the most wins. It's certainly not that. And we hear this mantra every four years. We got to get rid of the Electoral College. Let's do it. You know, it's a holdover. We don't need it. You know, and, and it would be much better defined uh, to do that, it would be much more honest and open. Um, you know, Trump's narrative about if he doesn't win, it's because it's crooked. That's out of Dictators 101, page one, chapter one. You know, you set a narrative. And irregardless of what happens, if you win, well, then the election was okay. Obviously, it was good. It was my mistake. If you lose, obviously, I already warned you, it was crooked. I, I had an experience in flying between uh, Istanbul back to Paris, and next to me was a heart surgeon from Iran who was going to a uh, uh, meeting in Paris. And he said that he was moderate and that he felt really bad. This was right after Trump had destroyed the, the uh, nuclear agreement. He said he felt really bad because he had tried to convince his friends who were more extremist in view, who were espousing at the time the agreement was made, that you can't trust the United States. They will renege on the deal. You'll see in the long run, 
they'll do something that will destroy it and we'll end up having to fight them. And he said, all that Trump did in backing out of the agreement was to verify what extremists had been already saying and that many people that he knew who were moderates had moved into the extremist camp saying, I didn't believe you, but now I know what's true. I know what America is all about. And I, I think that's more telling than pretty much anything else. And Hillary Clinton told him, if you remember, words have meaning. He's more than well aware of that. He is so well aware of that. It's frightening. He knows when he comes into a press conference and the few that he's held, and he makes some outrageous statement like there's 40 billion PPEs available for hospitals immediately. And then they say, well, that's not true. And he says, well, that's what somebody told me. And <laughs> and I don't know, maybe it's not true, but it's, it's I'm pretty sure it's true. He's been checked, I think, a thousand times, oh, uh, thousands of times, yeah. and 90% of all the things he has been saying is false, basically. Right. I mean, somebody and, reported at the first inauguration when the weather was bad and inclement, he came out and he looked around and he said, what a beautiful, bright, sunny day. And they looked at one another thinking, <laughs> what is this guy talking about? He lives in this fantasy world. You know, I, I wrote an article about Don's Johns. I don't know if you remember that story, but during the first inauguration, all the public toilets were provided by a company called Don's Johns. <laughs> well, his name, Don John, Donald John Trump, he became infuriated over this. And, and immediately they set about under orders from headquarters to cover the name, which they did in blue tape. But you could still see it under the pretext that you can't advertise in a national park. So all advertising has to be removed. And then that didn't work. They spent thousands of dollars paying people to put tape over the name. Then they came back and put white sheets of paper over it for additional tons of money. But they didn't put it on the back or the sides where they wouldn't be seen when the motorcade went by. Well, because hopefully, there was nobody standing hopefully around. This, this all will come to an end January 20th. And having said that, uh, we're going to still on Arab Talk hold Joe Biden accountable. It's not it doesn't mean like everybody's excited. We're going to hold anyone who is in power accountable. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, our guest for an entire hour. And we really appreciate it. Phil Pasquini and go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com to download all the latest episodes and listen to our podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. 